I really enjoy praising the Lord. I love to sing songs of praise to God. I, I love what we do here on a Sunday morning. I, I love uh, getting up and, and getting ready and, and coming here and singing songs of worship and praise. I love to praise God. I love singing songs of praise. And it doesn't matter if it's a, an old hymn like How Great Thou Art or a new song like How Great Is Our God. Uh, I love to sing songs of praise to Jesus. Uh, you'll find me in my car listening to the radio, and I'll be singing at the top of my lungs with the windows up, and the world thanks me. Um, but the windows are rolled up, but I am just rocking out to praise music in my car or at my desk or in uh, anywhere I go. I love listening to praise music. I love praising the Lord. Uh, when I was growing up, I grew up at the First Christian Church in Crown Point, and we were a, a hymn church. We sang all hymns, and uh, I, st- I have fond memories on this Father's Day. I have fond memories of my dad on Sunday nights. We'd have these occasional, my favorite Sunday nights was when we didn't have a sermon. But, ironic for a preacher, I know. But uh, my favorite Sunday nights was when we did all hymns. And dad would get up and lead worship, and he'd take requests. And my dad knows all the hymns, knows them all. At least he knew them all. Uh, but uh, no, knew all the hymns, and, uh, he w- and so what we would do is we'd shout them out. In fact, to this day, my brother still remembers half the numbers from the hymns in our hymn book at First Christian Church. All right? And maybe you're like that. Maybe, maybe you remember all the, the ones from when you were growing up, too. But we, uh, we'd have those, those sings, you know, and, and what's your favorite song? And people shout out their requests, and, you know, we'd be singing, How Great Thou Art, and Holy, 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 Trust and Obey, Standing on the Promises, all those hymns we'd be singing singing away and uh, one of my absolute favorites uh, more recently not when i was a kid so much but more recently one of my favorite hymns is how great thou art and i want to share with you today the story of how that song came about uh, it was not penned by the apostle paul as many people may lead you to believe um, it was not written two thousand years ago by paul uh, but actually it's it's kind of a recent song um, the history of the hymn begins with a man named carl gustav boberg who lived from 1859 to 1940. He was a Swedish pastor, author, uh, editor, and member of the Swedish parliament. He was a member of the government. Mr. Boberg was enjoying a nice walk when all of a sudden a thunderstorm came up out of nowhere. A severe wind began to blow. And then when the storm was over, Mr. Boberg looked out over a clear bay. And then he heard a church bell in the distance. And the words to how great thou art began to form in his heart. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. Can you imagine what he was feeling when he was writing those words? Those words that we love and know today, but those words for the first time came into his heart. There was such a calmness after the fierce storm that he could only utter those words of peace. And the poem, it was a poem, a Swedish poem, and it was, uh, I'm going to try and say this right, it was titled, O Stor Gud, O Great God is what it means, O Great God. And it was published in 1891 in Witness of the Truth, the weekly newspaper that Boberg edited. It was later translated into German, and then in 1927 it was published in a Russian version of the German text. Now, the song we know today, How Great Thou Art, was translated from that original Swedish poem, Ostorgud, and uh, this guy uh, who translated it was an English missionary to the Ukraine, and that's him up there. His name is Stuart K. Hein, and he translated uh, this Swedish poem. Uh, it, it went from Swedish, 
into German, into Russian, and then finally by Hein was translated into English. And he, uh, he translated the first three stanzas into English, and then it was sung at an evangelistic meeting in England during World War I. He published the first three verses in 1949 in a Russian evangelistic newspaper that he edited. And then he later wrote the fourth verse as a triumphant message of life eternal. Of the hymn's importance, he said, when we reach that heavenly home, we will fully understand the greatness of God and will bow in humble adoration, saying to him, O Lord my God, how great thou art. That's the story of how great thou art came about. And it's a wonderful hymn of praise that sings of God's grace. It sings of his love. It sings of his majesty and his creative power. It's a, a beautiful hymn uh, that is sung literally all over the world today. And it's a, a great opening to a message that uh, called uh, from uh, praise from A to Z. And we're going to talk about that today as we continue in our sermon series, Psalms in the Key of Life. And what we're doing is we're looking at different psalms all summer long. Uh, and uh, we've looked at two psalms so far. And both of those psalms were about fear and worry. Uh, but not just fear and worry. But they were also about trust in the Lord and confidence in God. So we've looked at two psalms about fear and worry. But today we're going to switch gears a little bit. And we're going to talk about a psalm of David. It's a psalm of praise. In fact, in the uh, entire 150 psalms in the, in the Bible, this is the only psalm that is titled a psalm of praise. It's not the only psalm that praises God, but it is the only one titled a psalm of praise. Now, I've titled this message Praise from A to Z, and you may be wondering, well, what does that mean? Well, the original psalm in the Hebrew is what is known as an acrostic. It is an acrostic, and what that means is that each stanza begins with the subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It would be like writing a poem or a song in English and starting the first line with A, the second line with B, the third line with C, and so on and so forth until you got to Z. And that is how this uh, Hebrew is laid out uh, in Psalm 145. It is an acrostic. And so what David is doing is he's taking the entire Hebrew alphabet and showing how you can praise God with every single letter in the alphabet. Um, David lists many reasons in Psalm 145 as to why we should praise the Lord. Uh, and I've divided them up into three categories because I believe they fall into three different categories. So grab your Bible uh, and turn to Psalm 145. Grab your Bible, turn to Psalm 145, and then grab your bulletin and turn to the handy-dandy outline on page 3. And we're going to fill in some blanks starting right now. The first blank on your outline is what God has done. What God has done. We need to praise the Lord for what he has done in the past. The things that he has done before us. Psalm 145, let's look at verses 1 through 7 as we begin. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. 
David says that he is going to praise the name of the Lord forever and ever, that his uh, tongue will never cease praising God. Why? Why would he never stop praising the Lord? Because of what God had done in the past, because of the mighty acts and wonderful deeds and great works in the past that God had done for him and that he had seen God do. David was recalling the mighty acts of the Lord, such as his act of creation, how God created the heavens and the earth, the universe. I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, it wasn't until the telescope was invented sometime, uh, you know, five, six centuries ago, right? Um, and, and as far as like being able to see out, I mean, we've always been able to see stars at night and things and plant. The planets existed for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, right? Before we ever saw them, before we ever knew what they looked like. The rings of Saturn, I was thinking about this the other day. The rings of Saturn were there when we didn't even know about them. And it wasn't until we had a powerful enough telescope to see them that we discovered there's rings around Saturn. God knew that the whole time. He created that the whole time. It's not like, oh, the humans have found the, a telescope and they're going to look at Saturn. I better put something around it. No, he created it that way at the beginning of creation when he created the heavens and the earth. They'd always been there in their beauty, in their spectacular uh, beauty, and, and, and we never knew about it until we could see it. And then it was like, wow, that is gorgeous. That's amazing. That's God. God created that. Even when we didn't know it was there, he still made it. And it is beautiful. It is good. As in all things God created. So David was recalling God's mighty acts. How God created everything, including himself. God made him. God made you. God made me. He made every single one of us. He created us. He has done great things in the past. David was recalling stories that he had heard growing up. Recalling of how God had delivered his people from Egypt from slavery and bondage in Egypt, that God had rescued them and brought them out of bondage, how God had won victories for them, how God had won battles for them. God uh, had done so much for his people, and David was recalling these things and praising the Lord for what he had done. In fact, I'm sure David had in mind the time when he slayed, uh, I got this wrong, the first service, when he slew the giant Goliath. That David recalled God giving him the victory in that battle. God has done mighty works. God has done wonderful acts. God has done great things. And David was celebrating what God had done in his life and in the life of his people. He says that each generation will speak of God's works to another. That we are to tell other people about the mighty acts of God. We are to share them with our children and our grandchildren from one generation to another, sharing the mighty deeds and the wonderful acts of God. You know, lately um, we've been singing a new song here uh, called God is Able. And one of the lines in the song says that he has done great things. He has done great things. And we need to think about, we need to ponder and consider and, and think about the mighty things that God has done, the great things that he has accomplished in our lives. So the question I have for you is what has God done in your life up until today? What are the things that God has done in your, in your past? What has he brought you out of? What has he saved you from? What has he brought you to? What has God done in your life up until now? Has he done great things in your life? Well, the first thing he's done is he created you. Just like David was thinking about creation, God created you. You're an amazing creation that God has made. You are unique. You are wonderfully made. David wrote in the Psalms that God knit him together in his mother's womb. 
that he made him just the way he wanted him to be. That God has created us the way he wants us. He has provided for you. He has blessed you. How have, how have you seen God's blessings in your life? How have you seen God provide when you thought there was no way that you were going to make it? There was no way things were going to work out, and yet God worked it out, and he, and he made it work out in your favor. Living in this great nation. Think about America. We live in a wonderful place. We live in a place of physical beauty. We live in a place where we are free. We can gather together on a Sunday morning with brothers and sisters in Christ to worship the Lord and praise the Lord. We can read from the Bible. We can own a Bible. Do you know how, uh, how much that puts us in the minority? I mean, there are countries across the world where if you're caught with even a page of the Bible, they'll execute you. We live in a free land, a free nation. Now, you may not agree with everything going on in our country, but it's still the greatest nation on earth. It's still the best place in which to live. We need to be thankful for what God has done in our past, what God has done in our lives. He has watched over our nation. He has blessed our nation in many ways. Most importantly, what God has done in the past is God has saved you from your past. God has saved me from my past. He has saved me through his son, Jesus. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be our savior, to save us from our sins. And we all sin. Those acts, those, those deeds that we've committed, those sinful things that we have done, mistakes we've made, decisions we regret, choices, poor choices we made, we know what they are. You know what yours are, I know what mine are. It's all too real. Uh, it's all, it's always, it seems to always be with me. Temptation is around every single corner. Yet, God has forgiven me for my many sins. God has forgiven you for your many sins. So how do we live in, in spite of that? How do we live uh, in light of that? How we live in light of that is we praise the Lord for what he has done. He has forgiven us time and time again, even though we have sinned time and time again. We have lied. We have cheated. We have lusted. We have gossiped. We have coveted. We have not forgiven others who need to be forgiven. We have taken grace for granted. We have taken mercy for granted. We have sinned over and over and over again. Yet God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins as the perfect human sacrifice. No other way can we be saved. There's no other name given to us under heaven by which we can be saved, according to the book of Acts. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to be saved. And I know it sounds exclusive. I know it sounds politically incorrect. But if I believe that the Bible is true, and I do, then I have to believe what Jesus said, that he's the only way to be saved. That I've got to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ in order to be saved and to be forgiven. I've got to believe in his name. I've got to repent for my sins. I've got to confess my faith and be baptized because there's no other way to be forgiven other than putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's the only way to be saved. And God has chosen to save us by his death and, and the power of his resurrection. God has chosen to save us because of what Jesus did. It's because of what God has done. We need to praise him. The second blank on your outline is what God is doing. We need to praise him for what he is doing. We need to praise God for what he is doing. We praise him for what he has done. And we're going to praise, praise him for what he is doing. Look at uh, verses 8 through 16. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, 
slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Over and over, David talks about what the Lord does and who the Lord is. He is gracious, David says. He is compassionate, David says. He is, this is one of my favorite things in this whole psalm, he is slow to anger. Do you know what that means? It means that God doesn't lose his temper. He is slow to anger. He doesn't fly off the handle at you. He doesn't fly off the handle at me. He doesn't go, uh, he doesn't, uh, go crazy in anger over us or at us or toward us. Rather, the Bible says he is slow to anger. He is patient. The New Testament talks about how he is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to repent and come to a knowledge of the truth. That God is slowly, patiently waiting for us to repent and turn to Jesus for forgiveness. He is slow to anger. The Bible says here in Psalm 145 that he is rich in love and he is compassionate to every, to, on all he has made. He is good to everything he has made. Uh, he is faithful to all of his promises. He is loving toward all he has made. This is our God. These are the descriptions of our God, David says. He upholds all who fall. That when on our, on our journey through life, we're going to have times where we trip, we stumble, and we fall. And what does David say? The Lord upholds. He picks us up. That when we are bowed down in worship or we are bowed down in, in reverent fear, when we are bow, bowed down in, in shame and guilt, because there are times in our lives when we feel that way, when we feel full of shame and guilt, and we just bow before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm so unworthy. He says he lifts us up. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He upholds those who fall. And when we stumble and fall, he picks us up. The Bible says here in Psalm 145 that he opens his hand. And he satisfies the desires of every living thing. What does he do? He provides. He provides for us when we need. He provides for us. He satisfies the desires of every living thing. This is our God. This is our Father. And he loves us so very much. All of these are the things that God does. All of these things are the things for which we should praise him. What is God doing Right now, he's doing all of these things. And the question I have for you this morning is, what is God doing in your life right now? What is he doing in you right now? What good work is he doing in you? What mighty act is he doing in your life today? How is God uh, showing you his compassionate grace? How has God been slow to anger with you? How is he abounding in love to you? My very favorite part of this entire psalm is the second half of verse 13. The Lord is faithful to all his promises 
and loving toward all he has made. And he repeats, David repeats that, loving toward all he has made. He repeats that a second time. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. How has God shown you his faithfulness? How has God shown you his love? For that is who he is. God is love. And he is faithful to his promises. You know, I, I hear that phrase, I hear that passage about how he is loving toward all he has made. You know what that tells me? That tells me that right now, where you sit, in your pew, right at this very moment, God is loving you. God loves you. He loves you. Every single one of us in this building, every single one of us in this room, right now, where you sit and where I stand, God is loving us. He is pouring forth his love. He is pouring forth his compassion. He is pouring forth his sympathy. He is pouring out his grace on us. God loves you. And he loves me too. Children's song we sing. Jesus loves me, this I know. How do I know that? The Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me. And yes, he loves you too. Jesus loves you. And Jesus loves me. That is why we praise him. That is why he is abounding in love for us right now, pouring out his love. So how do we respond to that? How do we respond to God's love? 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. You see, our mission statement here is to love God, love others, spread the gospel, right? Those first two things, loving God and loving others, that's what we're called to do. And the reason that we love God and the reason that we love others is because he first loved us. That God loves you and you and you and you all over there and up in the balcony and me. God loves us all. And because of his great love for us, we love others and we love God. Does that make sense? That we love because he first loved us. That's why we gather together for worship. That's why we gather together to praise the Lord and to express our love for God and to love and encourage one another. The reason that we get here together on a Sunday morning is to love God and love others. If you came here this morning for any other reason than to express your love for God and to love and encourage somebody else, you came for the wrong, you missed the point. You came for the wrong reason. Because we are called to love God and love others. And that's what we do when we get together on a Sunday morning. If you came here to get something, if you came here to receive something, you came for the wrong reason. Because when we come together for worship, the reason that we worship and the reason that we praise, what we're doing here right now is we are giving. We are called to give love. We are called to express our love. We are called to encourage one another, to love each other. There's somebody in this room right now who needs you. They need your encouragement. They need your love. And you are called to give that love, to express that love that you have for them. To encourage them in their walk. To encourage your brothers and sisters. Corporate worship is not about us. This is not about you. And it's not about me. It is about loving God and loving others. We're not here to get something. We are here to give something. And we are called to to give something to the Lord and to those around us. And anything we receive, and there are blessings that come from being here, there are blessings that come from worship, anything we receive 
is gravy. You know what I'm talking about? You know how you get mashed potatoes, and mashed potatoes are really good, you know? A little bit of butter and a little bit of garlic. Oh, I'll put some garlic in the. What time is it? Oh, man, it's not fair. Sean, don't talk about garlic mashed potatoes on Father's Day. But then, you know, and the, the garlic mashed potatoes are really good. And you go, oh, these are so good. And then, and then, somebody said, would you like some gravy for those? In my case, it's, would you like some ketchup for that? Oh, yes, I would. I love ketchup on mashed potatoes. That's <laughs> so good. And I mix it all together, makes them a nice shade of pink. Oh, ketchup on my mashed potatoes. Oh, you like it on French fries, right? Oh, it's okay if the fries are, are cut into strips and are fried, but you put the potatoes in a mashed form, and that's disgusting. Right, okay, sure, okay. It's okay to put gravy on them, and we won't even get into what gravy's made of, but gravy's good, ketchup bad. Sorry. I tantalize you by talking about mashed potatoes, and then I make you sick by talking about putting ketchup on them. Sorry. Coming together to worship and to praise the Lord and to encourage and love one another, that's the potatoes. That's why we came. Anything we receive, any blessing we receive, that's the gravy. That's the gravy. But the blessing of worship is how we can bless God and bless one another. That's what it's about. We need to praise the Lord for what he is doing. The final blank on your outline is what God has promised to do. What God has promised to do. To do. Look at verses 17 through 20. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. We've heard that before. That's awesome. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. See, Many will call on the Lord in truth, and God has promises for them. God has promises in his word for those who call on him in truth. Psalm 145 is full of God's promises. In verse 15, it says that he gives food at the proper time. He takes care of our needs. He feeds us. God takes care of us. He promises, uh, his promises, he promises to be faithful to his promises and loving toward all he has made. He promises to be near to those who call on him. He hears our cries. He saves us. He watches over everyone who loves him. But then there's a scary promise too. His scary promise is he will destroy the wicked. He will destroy the wicked. Well, who are the wicked? See, we tend to think of the wicked as those people, uh, those terrorists who fly airplanes into buildings. Those are the wicked. Well, the way I understand it, the wicked, the unrighteous, those are people who don't know Jesus. See, in a way, we're all wicked. And before we come to Christ, we're all unrighteous. And the only way to become righteous is to put your faith and trust in Christ. Because when you do... God declares you righteous. He declares you right with him. He washes away your sins and he forgives them all and he makes you righteous in his sight. He justifies you and, and sanctifies you and cleanses you and makes you his child. But without Jesus, you're just another one of the wicked. And that's a really scary thought. That's a terribly scary thought. Billions of people are going to spend eternity separated from God in hell because they don't know Jesus as their Savior they will be destroyed, the Bible says. And we can't let that happen. 
You know, we just can't. God is going to watch over those who love him, and he's going to destroy those who reject him. We who are entrusted with the message of the gospel, we have to share it with the world. We've got to tell everybody about Jesus, how they can experience love and joy and peace in this life, how they can know real peace and real joy, and they can be loved unconditionally. And that if they don't know Jesus, they don't go to heaven. See, a lot of people believe that many roads lead to God. Well, all roads lead to God. That's true. All roads lead to God's judgment seat. But only one road leads to heaven, and that is through Jesus. Only one road leads to heaven, and that's through Jesus. And like I said, it doesn't sound politically correct, and it's not going to win many popularity contests, but it's the truth. If you believe the words of this book, then you've got to believe that that's true. And that's a scary thought. But if we will get serious about our vision of making more and better disciples, if we will get serious about our vision of reaching out to people and sharing with them the good news of Jesus and sharing the gospel and spreading the gospel, if we will get serious about telling people about Jesus Christ, then they will hear the good news. And they'll at least have that opportunity. They'll be able to stand before God and say, yep, I heard the good news. I didn't want it. I heard the good news. I didn't want to follow Jesus. They make the choice themselves. But I don't want to stand before God and say, Sean, why didn't you tell them? Why didn't you tell people about Jesus? Jesus looks at me, why didn't you tell people about me? I can't let that happen. That's why I do what I do. I don't do what I do for a paycheck. I don't do what I do for pats on the back. I don't do it. Do what I do for brownie points in heaven, crown uh jewels in my crown, whatever. I do what I do. I tell people about Jesus. I preach God's word because I know that Jesus is the only hope of the world and that without Jesus, people die in their sins and they don't go to heaven. And I can't let that happen. And neither can you. We have to be serious as a church about spreading the gospel, telling people about Jesus Christ to help people follow Jesus as their Savior, to be completely devoted and sold out to Christ as Lord. This is our vision. This is our mission. And we must work at it with everything we have until we fulfill it by the grace of God. My challenge for you this week is to think about these three categories of praise. Praising God for what He has done. Praising God for what He is doing. And praising for Him for all He has promised to do. And my prayer is that this will be your prayer, that you will think about, I want you to think about one thing in each category, one blessing in each category. What has God done in your past that you can praise him for this week? What is God doing in your life right now that you can praise him for this week? What has God promised to do? What promise are you holding on to that you can praise him for this week? And pray that prayer each day and praise him for all he has done, not for the expectation of blessing, not for the expectation of something that he's going to give to you, but just to praise him for who he is. He is almighty God and he deserves our praise.